All right, welcome in everybody. We're here with Soyana Technologies. We are the marriage of the human and device ecosystem to make coping cool again and unlock our potential. I am Ava Pipitone. I'm a futurist entrepreneur and friend, and I'm here today with Isabel. Yes, and I am a trauma-informed scientist and a coping skill enthusiast. Awesome, awesome. So today we're talking about biometrics, the future of biometrics, where we are now with biometrics. And in that, I like to say uh, right now we're in the the metrics of unrest. Mm -hmm. So you may be aware of what's happening in the Western world right now um, with some, another uh, uptick in, in, uh, you know, civic disobedience and police brutality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This is not an isolated instance, definitely a pattern. And what's bringing it into our consciousness today is there's definitely a lot to be said around the biometrics of folks engaging in um, large scale uh, democratic participation. And it's not just an isolated uh, politicized happening in the United States. This is all of Western Europe is, is, is activating in these ways. Um, Hong Kong is having it right now, and there's always stuff going on with the Aboriginals in Australia, and Tokyo even had something this week. So it's definitely something to do with coherence um, that is in the human consciousness right now. And let's talk about like how we can or cannot quantify that. Um, so I wanted to start in with, you know, uh, I haven't said this in the show, but in another life, I was a uh, direct action trainer with Greenpeace and a specific, I was training people in how to do nonviolent blockades. And there's this perception that um, a protest or a direct action or any kind of action is uh, violent and some kind of outburst, right? But we know that for those who've actually been a part of these moments, it's almost the polar opposite of that. Um, using a standing rock as an example, as indigenous folks in, in, around their water source a few years back in the United States, so-called United States, right? They were, they were praying that their water would stay clean. And as they had been doing for thousands of years, there were some uh, mining that was going to happen, some pipelines were going to flow through, and it was going to create danger or threaten that, that cleanliness. So and that's their source to divinities, that's their first medicine. So they were praying deeply. And that prayer became so powerful that folks were attracted to it. And those folks who were attracted to it began to also support them in sustaining their prayer for so long that it physically disrupted the completion of the pipeline. So what kind of metrics would we have in that moment, right? I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I bet you they were in a high state of heart coherence. I bet you their heart rate variability was pretty locked in. I bet you their, their neuroelectromagnetic frequencies were pretty stable. Um, I bet you there was the most serene, peaceful, and calm moments possible. Um, such, so much that it, that it brought forth, um, it kind of extracts out of people who encounter it, their, their anxiety, their fear. Um, so, you know, when you have these, these, uh, enforcement agencies coming to kind of make sure business happens as, as it was scheduled to 
and this disruption of these incredibly calm people sitting in prayer, emanating peace and love, it brings out the lack of coherence of the other individuals. Mm. Um, of course, in an ideal situation, we would have an equally grounded, calm, loving ambassador come from both sides of any any perceived disagreement or tension and they'd engage in you know a, a circle and talk but that was a very rare thing so let's i would love to like bring bring you in here isabel and to hear about um like what what do you think uh from a science perspective is going on inside of the individuals that are sitting sitting in, in prayer sitting in peaceful protest and that's just using the standing arc example but also like what's happening now where people are are kneeling down in cities all over the world right now, kneeling, praying, meditating, um, and then other folks are smashing, right? Other folks are breaking things, and it's just like who, what, why, quantify. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you touched on a lot of the metrics that um, we like to talk about when we talk about um, measuring coherence, um, like HRT is uh, my personal favorite for measuring that, and that's basically uh, for the listeners who are unfamiliar, um, measuring how close your breath rate is to your heart rate. And when those are in disalignment, we see that a lot with people who have high ACE scores or have experienced a lot of trauma in their lives. Um, and we also see it in people that are just, uh, you know, anxious and nervous sometimes. It's, uh, it's a part of the human experience. And so I think besides looking at that, um, measures of, you know, fight or flight sympathetic versus our parasympathetic response um, are also skin conductivity. You get a little sweaty uh, when you're nervous. <laughs> and also, um, you know, I think we could also look at the brain waves of these people and we would see that they are connected, that they are literally on the same wavelength when we pray together, when we are singing together, even if we're listening to the same speech or watching the same show, if you look at someone's reading of like, you know, what's going on in their cortical level, you will see, you know, similar things going on. And I think that that's very powerful. Right, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, they, the HRV, the heart rate variability, that's, that's a big one, but it's also a fragile metric, mm -hmm. right? It's, I think that, it's it's great in like a apartment when you're meditating but it's hard so like a lot of these are ideal right like getting a mm -hmm. neuroelectromagnetic frequency is brainwave pattern again it's like super fragile to to get that metric but I, maybe in the future we can have some kind of um look inside in those ways or some kind of uh less invasive wearable that allows us to actually get that i like the the skin conductivity concept right? I wonder, like, what are ways that that could be broken, though? So I feel like if someone's sweating from other, for other reasons, what is, mm -hmm. is there any problem with that metric? Um, so I've, oh, the research I did on this was uh, many moons ago, so I'm a little bit rusty, um, I have to admit, but I know that there are some issues with it basically being, like, a different, um, kind of baseline for different people. And so you have to acclimate it to the person that you're using. And I think that you made a very good point. It's like, we have the technology, it exists, but is it portable? Is it usable in a space where you are moving around or sweating or something like that? Because usually mm -hmm. the answer is no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, but, you know, 
like if we if we take that um in an ideal world so we could get some kind of like quantitative awareness of what's happening in these these moments of, of civil unrest i'm actually really interested in what it would do to the narrative so thinking about um and just like explaining the conversation you know like thinking about when we read in the news in the newspaper or we see on tv or wherever you get your news that like this is happening um like what's the first thought that comes to your mind right people might might be like hey this is this is people are angry one people are um like activated too and they're like doing something with their anger when we actually like i know from experience that it's quite the opposite it's more of a religious experience right mm -hmm. when the king was was praying as he went he was a bodhisattva if there's any kind of descriptor for what he was and mm -hmm. and that's that's um that's different that's mm -hmm. different than than i think the mainstream narrative that they push through they use the word riot right yeah and riot right like like what do you think the biometrics of riot would be <laughs> give yeah. a, pass a picture of that yeah, a lot closer to stress. So I think that you're definitely um, touching on something very interesting that I've been thinking about, of course, from a trauma perspective, um, is when we talk about, um, like, specifically, like, the systemic parts of this, um, we are looking at um, a population that has, you know, been systemically oppressed and disenfranchised, and then, um, you know, events that could be potentially triggering to those people happening in quick succession during a very stressful time. And I think that that should be noted is that sure. um, the stress and like the kind of, you know, call it what you want. Is it CPTSD? Is it just like living your life as a person of color in the United States? Um, that has its own, you know, so its own biometrics associated with it in a certain way. Yeah. And I think it's really important to like, totally like staying in our lane is super important. Like we're not mm. like this podcast won't come out till this is like the spotlight is already on the people who are doing this. And we're, we're talking about, you know, biometrics, wearables. This is what we do. Right? We're, we're thinking about how to make humans more of what we can be and how mm. to help us level up awareness of what's going on inside this beautiful vehicle that we have the, uh, opportunity and privilege to grow uh, over our however many years we're on this planet and and that's that is what we're talking about and I think yeah. when we look at uh, when we look at other you know looking at like my experience when I am, am in like in the trans movement I was part of the trans movement for a long time that's why I was doing that stuff with Greenpeace they they had me training I do some environmental work too um, that's my fight right that's my that's my space. Um, I have a voice in that, uh, but I don't have a voice in this fight. So I don't mm. have a voice in this. And I think fight's the wrong word. So like they're like they're 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 calm, they're peaceful, and it's you know when I when I talk to um, other trans folks about uh, in, encounters with you know systems and of authority, they're like, well, and I used to hold a, a view that was a little more anti-establishment during my, my like ideological adolescence. And they would like, I was like, don't call the police. They're going to make it worse. But every other, the other trans folks who like had less structural support than me were like, no, you call the police because they're going to help. And it was only me and my like privileged intellectual critique, like taking up of space that was saying, don't, 
use these institutions. And that I, I identify now as like a pretty ill-formed or like incomplete platform that I was speaking from. And now it's like when, and we hear the siren speaking right now, right? it's interesting timeliness, right? The siren comes right now. It says really there's not a, no accidents, right? So now it's like, hey, like they're going to help somebody right now. Like they're go maybe someone's having a heart attack. Maybe someone's getting diagnosed with COVID. But they're going to, to, to bring whatever we can, the best design scalable solution to like help somebody. And like, yeah, they're messing up and they're going to kill people because they're humans and tensions are high. And like, but like, but really my trans mentors, they were saying like, you, you, you protest in love. Mm. You don't protest in hate. Like you create, you create more of whatever you focus on. So if you want a love and peaceful society, then that's what you do. You go mm. and use your body and you generate a quantum field of coherence mm. and peace and love towards those people. It's like, Hey, we're on this together. There was an accident and we got to look at that. You got to say something about it. You got to be accountable to it. And it's not like a, it's not a, Hey, we hate you. It's a, Hey, like, you made a mistake and we love you. Just just acknowledge it and we'll work through it together. But if you resist acknowledging and being accountable to the mistake that was made, then we're gonna, that resistance is gonna create more resistance, which is gonna manifest as more humans in the street showering mm. you with love, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I really wanna see um, the, 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 techno, the technology of the future getting a painting a picture of that yeah painting a picture of what's actually happening because because then it's irrefutable you know people are saying oh riots unrest and then we then we actually like have but wait here's the heart rates of all ten thousand people on the streets of baltimore city last night yeah and the calm yeah. joy right <laughs> so like where, where is this riot coming from in your imagination yeah. and or why I are you creating yeah. Um, so I guess I see us as either being in a fight or flight mode or rest and digest mode. We are either activating our um, sympathetic or our parasympathetic nervous system. And I think that when we get to the riotous end of our physiology, so to speak, we are in that sympathetic fight or flight mode where we're like, I am trying to survive. I don't like what is happening breaking this thing maybe releases some of that stress for me um you know and that can definitely be part of it and i think that that also colors um some of these inc incidences where we're talking about where people are getting hurt and where people are getting killed because one person is perceiving another as a threat when they are not and one yeah. person's sympathetic nervous system is being activated when it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, this idea of perceiving others as a threat, and this is also something that is um, of even of like a larger concern in neuroexpansive communities, um, mm -hmm. is that if we had some indicator of like, this person is not at a threat level right now. Like this person you're interfacing mm -hmm. with is like calm. Maybe they're having a delusion that they need to get talked through but like, they're not going to hurt you. Like they just, you know, think that something is attached inside their head and they're talking to it. Like it's, it's fine. Right. You know? And that, that's so huge. And you're going right back to when I, I used to own uh, be a worker owner at a cooperative cafe bookstore event space. It's called Red Emma's after 
the um, activist Emma Goldman, Lithuanian activist who was so good at moving truth through her vocal cords that she inspired the, the bread riots in New York City, shut down the city multiple times, um, was excommunicated from the United States because of her speaking tours, were literally waking people up to this, this reality that we are the most powerful um, you know, manifestations of consciousness um, in our perceivable, observable reality, and, and that we can claim that status and remember that our states and our economies are ours. And in our having created them, we have authority over them. And it's a dangerous idea to those who anchor their stability in their position in said created structure. Um, this, this is a space of um, incongruence in the narrative versus the reality. So what I'm articulating falls under, like linguistically is in the category of sacred activism. And this is a non-dualist concept where like we are literally made for times like these. Like this is, um, I think Charles Epstein said like the coronation, right? This is like a time in our species history where we must remember that we created the systems that created the challenge that's happening right now. And in that remembering, we resituate ourselves at the top. Um, so, so keeping it, it grounded in um, Emma Goldman in this cafe that I used to own, um, we had sat like 300 people. We had a free school where it was uh, classes were free to take and to teach. Um, and we had like locally sourced um, foods, vegan options, veggie options, whatever you need, gluten-free, soy-free, nut-free, whatever we got you. Anybody can come through. We had Wi-Fi, we had bathrooms. Um, but you were mentioning specifically uh, a neuroatypical neurodivergence. And what I found in my sacred direct action experiences were in that space, um, there were seven methadone clinics surrounding our um, cooperative cafe. And when people, if people don't know, methadone is a, an opioid recovery treatment. Methadone and Suboxone help you like, transition off of opioid dependency. Um, you're still gonna have a substance dependency on these synthetic opioids, but they are much easier to mitigate the side effects of and, the, and thereby transition off of. Um, we now know that things like Kratom can be a little bit more effective and the ultimate and most effective is Iboga. Um, it will absolutely cure you of these addictions. Um, again, it's not right for some folks to jump right to a treatment like Iboga or Kratom. Um, there's definitely some specialists who can talk to you about the, uh, the prerequisites in like heart health before doing so, because you could very well have a heart attack and die during that detoxification process using those medicines. So we're not medical doctors and definitely speak with those who are. Um, so we're, here's Red Emma is surrounded by these methadone clinics, people on Suboxone. And they come into the cafe to get water, to use our bathroom, and to wait for the bus. That was the bus stop was right out front of our spot. So I was dealing with folks who, for substance dependencies or for life traumas, very much lived in a different reality. And when we saw folks who weren't as mindful uh, encountering these folks, they would get fear. 
they would their their racial biases, class biases, and really people are afraid of poverty, and oh, poverty yeah. manifests as like you know like there's there's like you know soil and soot and and human excrement and like human um emissions like sweat saliva like these things that are still like visible on your person your clothes um like you're not well groomed right when these things are are like in our experience of a person we are afraid and that makes sense because it's like is this person dying is this person gonna is this person okay like is this person untamed like what's they don't they're not participating in the built society and if they're not participating in that built society they're not in the contract and we don't know what their values are so we think of them as different and we triggers our parasympathetic nervous system right so um it's 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 a challenge like in an ideal world people would see the humanness in another life form and 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 connect but in our world unfortunately people get distracted by the surface level differences so my skill in this space came from actually connecting with these neurodivergent or these folks that were for whatever reason living in a different reality be it drug induced or trauma induced connecting connecting with these folks and kind of guiding them into the the contract of our space right and the contract of our space was like hey I appreciate your hustle going on here. Like you're asking people for money, right? They're panhandling. I appreciate your hustle. Um, in this room, like we have air conditioning and Wi-Fi because our hustle here with, with food and coffee and books allows us to like do that. We have a license for it. And like everybody in the city is cool with it. And like, you have a great hustle here, but we have this, like, this is our here. And if, and if you have that hustle here and, and ours here, we're going to have um, tension and we could get shut down. So if you want to keep all this going here and we'd love to have you stay here, um, just respect our game and maybe take your game outside into a public space. And they would be like, wait, what? I get that. And I was like, I'm glad I'm speaking your language because yeah. I'm speaking a really different typical, not a typical language, um, but that framing of like the most broad axiom, the, most, the broadest possible, most universal description of why it is not okay for them to do what they were doing that also respected the dignity of what, why they were doing what they were doing, showed that I saw them and that I loved them, right? It was a whole different world. So like, take it back to now. We have an officer on the back of someone, someone's neck, right? Is that person showing love? Is that person showing care? Or as you described, like, what do you think is going on in, in, the, in, in the fear? What's like, describe the like internal state of these people who are, um, who are like seeing a homeless person and, and like clutching their purse. Yeah, so immediately what happens when you go to your flight or flight response is you release a certain amount of cortisol and that basically, um, you know, obviously this is like to varying degrees because we're talking about like being, you know, potentially slightly inconvenienced visually or something by a person who is not part of your worldview versus like, you know, being harmed and not having anything that you can do about it. But uh, generally speaking, that stress response looks like cortisol being released in your body. That causes your glycogen to get broken down into readily accessible energy so that you can leave the situation. And um, your brain can also use that energy to better process what is going on around you because you probably have also gotten into some hypervigilance which is something that people with higher ACE scores can experience even when they aren't under a trauma response. Um, right. And hypervigilance looks like 
everything around you kind of focusing and sharpening and like feeling more. Um, and actually like, we'll talk a little bit later about biohacking and how we're actually, or not us, but certain companies are actually trying to harness using our fight or flight sympathetic nervous system uh, to just give us a boost of energy and to help us concentrate. Because ultimately, hypervigilance does kind of help you see around you very well. It just doesn't help you um, connect with your frontal lobe to like make wise choices about it necessarily. Yeah. Um, and so, because another thing that happens when our uh, sympathetic nervous system is activated is that our amygdala goes off, our fire alarm in our brain, that's like danger, danger, and that shuts off our frontal lobe because it's like, can't, can't give that energy right now. We have to focus on danger. And so we're literally like shutting down our logical sensors and just letting the smoke alarm lead us. Yes. So let's, let's go there a little bit. So first I want to say like, when we're thinking about what's happening now, um, and we should name, we should name the man who was killed by police, George. George Floyd. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. George, yeah, George Floyd, let's, let's see there. And then, you know, we had, yeah. we had Freddie Gray, he was like 25 years old and in Baltimore a couple of years back. So this is like, this is known to us. Um, yeah. So, so, and George, we, like you and I aren't able to, to like relate to George. If mm -hmm. doing that, I think that's not the task of the white person or the Europe, European descended person. Like mm -hmm. we need to hold our people accountable. And in that case, like it, it's the, it's the white folks around it that we got to, we're talking to right now. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't know if the officer killed him was white. Let's just yeah, assume he was. Was. it's yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's assume it was. Yeah. So like that, um that what was going on in that officer right that officer saw something like like add on the layers of coronavirus and there this officer's like fight or flight hypervigilance going bananas and and like was not in a sacred space was not in coherence was not in the heart was in the like i need to accomplish this set of tasks that i programmed into me or else like i will die this person will kill every every catastrophizing is happening to the nth degree and this person is is just like that person was, was a machine. And we gotta stop that. We don't need humans becoming machines like that. Um, so that's what, what we would talk about, like an officer with a biometric capture that we could say like, wow, these officers are really like in a bad way. So maybe we could modulate our training. You know, maybe, yeah. we, could, maybe we could bring it to more like what they do in, in the UK where they have pastors. Their officers are sometimes called pastors and they give out like water and Gatorades to people at bars. Instead of going with a gun, they go with like a hug um, yeah. and like yeah. count the homeless, right? So like there are other ways of doing this um, that don't need to be as over militarized and, and that don't involve the same um, training. So like that's, that's an interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Because it's like should, because it's also a thing of like, if you are responding to dangerous situations, you know, or you know, potentially dangerous situations, right? Um, should, do we need to require a certain amount of um, sympathetic nervous system control to be operating a gun in those situations? Like, do you need to have your biometrics prove that you can not get too emotionally activated during those times and like maintain a certain amount of coherence under stress? And is that yeah. even possible? Yeah, I would love to get in the game with um with some of the military folks on that conversation. 
because um, there's a lot of research in that space, right? Because yeah. they, they train you um, in sniper training, they train you to um, like time between heartbeats. Mm. And you get your breath patterns in such a way that then like this is very much part of the like training, the military training process, right? And I would like argue that one of the flaw one of the flaws here is that cops are not trained as well as soldiers are. But they're yeah, we the just give them tools. the accessories. Yeah. And that's that's maybe what we're seeing here. It's like if you're gonna give your officers these military grade tools and like make them think that they're as good as soldiers, well wake up, because they're not. Soldiers yeah. are soldiers. Yeah. Cops are like civilians, period. And, and, and they need better training to be able to use the weapons they have. And when, if they had that, maybe they'd be more peaceful, right? Yeah. And maybe they'd be more effective on all levels. So that, that's a cool conversation. I want to like also name that, um, like you, you, we were talking a little bit about the, the, um, the like when you're in those hypervigilant states, uh, you want to maintain conscious. So you, that another way of describing that is flow. So mm-hmm. flow research and flow consciousness and flow states of which we now, Stephen Kotler's now got 21 different triggers mapped out for getting into your flow state. My favorite trigger is just jumping. I jump in the air and that free fall moment that I'm in flow and now I can like type and flow. And it's, it's like as if you're triggered into like, oh my God, I got to be hypervigilant, but you're also mm-hmm. super calm. Mm. So they talk about when the dorsolateral, dorsolateral cortex downregulates and you're in the watchtower, right? You're in the watchtower, but you get there when you're triggered and then you're numb. Everything is numb and you're in the watchtower like above your body. That's the bad news. Kind of. It's not flow, it's disassociation. But when you're in the, when your dorsolateral cortex downregulates and you're in the watchtower and you're hypersensate, this is in your state of joy, mountain biking down the, the side of this, this like mountain with all these trees and the obstacles. And you're so sensate that you're like adept navigating precisely, right? This is where you're in, you know, the in, interpretive dance and flowing with your partner. This is where you're in um, like dance fighting and martial arts with that sphere and they're dodging every move and your breathing is one and your heart rates are in sync. This is flow, right? This is where you're in the mm. in the pocket in jazz, or you're writing, and just like pure wisdom is flowing from your heart through your hands. Um, now, I think like that that's maybe out of scope for where we want to go with this conversation today. But maybe what you're what you were alluding to is it would be lovely if if our um, if everybody was in flow when activated, and not yeah. in like, in in fight or flight when activated. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, and that I think comes back to my favorite, like coping skills, because I um, have a high A score personally, and that leads to me, you know, sometimes feeling these moments of stress and then having to be like, but actually I'm safe and it's fine, you know, and having to cope to like get back to the present and to get back to now. And I think that, um, you know, one of those is like coming back to the breath. And I think that relates a lot to what you were talking about with the snipers, like going back to your heartbeat. Um, that's really cool. I'd never heard that before. So thank you. For oh, yeah. That. yeah. 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 And, and that's just maybe a little bit to the future. Like when we do test the anxiety ring we're developing teaser, mm. people listening, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll need to work. Well, we'll likely be working with folks like department of justice, department of defense. Um, yeah, just that's where, the, that's where a lot of this research happens. Um, and they have the budgets to test it because if it can optimize performance, it can save lives, um, and mitigate harm which is crucial when dealing with high powered technologies. Um, so let's, let's like go into like, we obviously can't collect the heart rate variability and the neuroelectromagnetic frequencies of 
people are demonstrating to prove that they are like peaceful, heart-centered, meditating, broadcasting love and sacred activism. Um, while we know that to be true, the narratives that that is not the case, the narrative of riot will always persist um, mm -hmm. and, or will persist for a long time. Um, in the future though, we're getting better with, with, with data and, and biometrics. And I wanna um, you know, get your like wish list of the future. I know you like to put implants in bodies. I know you have like a more of a, cy a cyborg future in your world. Um, so I'd love you to like paint your picture and then I'd paint mine um, around like what's going on with, with wearables, what's going on with biometrics and what do you see for the next like five and 10 years from now? Yeah, definitely. And before we get into that, I think it might be a good time to take a break. So uh, Isabel, you were saying five years from now what what are we gonna what are we gonna be wearing what's we're gonna implanting in our bodies what's what's our cyborg future so i see our cyborg future as like kind of already happening now a little bit um i think that there are like wearables and stuff on the market that we can definitely use and also some things um you know that we've been doing for millennia that i think are just or you know people have been doing for millennia in other countries that uh people in America are just finding out now and getting really into. Um, so I guess I see in the near future, I see, uh, you know, embedded wearables, like um, kind of going beyond like putting a magnet in your finger, like we were doing in the, in the early 2000s to putting an RFID chip in your finger or an NFC tag. Um, I think that there, there's definitely some worry about um, security in that sense, but I think you had, um, yeah, let me go on that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, sure. Well, I wanted to hear. So, so a couple of years <laughs> from now, you think we're going to have like embedded wearables. Sounds awesome. Sounds interesting. Definitely. Um, but what about like 10 years from now? Yeah, I think that, um, embedded wearables will probably be more the norm 10 years from now and not seem like, um, you know, like a very extremely nerdy body modification. Um, I think also, uh, you know, biohacking, like our aesthetics is only going to increase exponentially, um, especially with the um, amount, or, or excuse me, especially with the popularity in injectables and in fillers and um, some of the recalls that are happening in silicone, I think that customizing our bodies, like to truly just be like these avatars of what we want to be is only going to increase. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I definitely think so. And you know, being a trans person, like I definitely have mo body modded um, in both the synthetic and organic ways, right? Like I've, I've used um, like synthetic silicone, I've used synthetic, synthetic um, hormones, but I've also used organic and bioidentical hormones and herbs. So, you know, that's a whole conversation. I'd love to have another podcast about like, uh, I, you know, how I did, you know, two years with the, the like industrial, uh, the biomedical industrial complex on, on like how we get these like synthetic hormones and how that journey was for me. And then when I got into like, um, I got into a, a, a much more atypical hormonal regimen with like both testosterone, bioidentical prometriums and uh, estrogens. And then when I got into an herbal regimen, which is where I am now, where I use Fang Greek and Dung Kwai and Black Kohosh. And I use 
all different types like chase berries and things and even hops and, and, and hemp seeds uh, to get my, to oscillate between um, my endocrine system to really zoom in on what it is I want to express and how I want to operate. Um, so that, that's like a way of being human that's very, uh, requires deep listening requires deep, deep, deep listening. We should do a podcast just on that. Um, but yeah, to talk about the future, I think I'm really, really paying close attention to what uh, Neuralink is doing and Elon Musk is doing and the, you know, in, interrupting the action potentials of neurosynapses before they can even detect that interruption. Um, there's a huge potential there. Um, not, and that's a two-way street. Like we'll be able to uh, think knowledge into our awareness. So when we think about a, like building a computer, we'll be able to access all the technical skills to be able to build it just through the act of thinking towards it. And I'm really excited for that future. I mean, that's like about five years away, if not less. Um, and like thinking our ability into um, controlling external organisms like and external organs. So uh, thinking about um, how we can, uh, uh, like how we can control like an extra arm or how we can fly a helicopter all as part of our body. And as easy as moving your arm, you could fly a helicopter. As easy as um, getting out of this chair, you could drive a car. And that felt sensation of, of doing as opposed to trying to figure out how to navigate input devices. I think we're very, very, very close to that happening um, for our species. Um, that's about a five year, 10 year. Um, I mean, telekinesis is already, well, sorry. Uh, yeah, telekinesis, being able to think without words, being able to communicate without words. That is uh, much closer than we believe. Like that, that might be like a two or three year time horizon and some communities are already really, really skilled in that space. Um, but especially machine learning and like ch early childhood education and the like advances there, like we're learning like how we learn um, and we're able to communicate to children much faster, but take that up to adults. And I believe we're gonna have some kind of like distributed, like distributed consciousness and some distributed ledger of real time thought that is like shared by all of us. And you can like tune in and out of it and like get a read on what the, what the hive is thinking, right? Get a read on what the oneness is, the non-dual oneness. And like, I can tune in to the global consciousness and it's like checking in with the elders, you know, and be like, Hey, am I doing all right? How's it going? It's like prayer like a techno a technological prayer right and you tune into that you be with that for a minute and then you go back into your like you know chronological time consciousness and and sit there and and do the task at hand to increase the time and ease with which we can access that state of prayer so um i think the the future of technology is very religious to say the least and uh, i'm not alone in that that that, that thought um that science and non-duality is definitely going that direction. Um, and it, a lot of the folks in Silicon Valley and the biggest brands in the world uh, do speak about themselves as relatively religious. So looking at like Cond Nast, right? Like they own majority of like media in the planet. Um, so we're all essentially like listening to the creative intentions and ethical ideations of those executives. So we are kind of following them as the Pope, right, in some ways. So I think uh, that's where I'm going with the future of, of wearables and biometrics is we're going into like this, this um, like more cerebral future where our wearable devices will be integrating us with a uh, digital or technological 
um, meta mind. And I think that's less than 10 years off. So like, here we go. You heard it here first. Um, no, <laughs> uh, but funny, but not funny. Um, I, I think we're closing in on uh, time, but this piece around um, what's happening with distributed ledger and um, this really sensitive personally identifiable, personally identifiable data is real. Um, so PII centralized in uh, like in the like big tech giants security like is super vulnerable and creates mistrust whereas distributed ledger creates trust and it's impossible to steal so we cannot unlock the potential of biometrics and becoming superhuman and really like using wearables and devices to train our wetware and train our human more until we solve the trust issue and that i think we are less than five years away on like i would say even two years and we're gonna, you're gonna see like Internet 2.0 really pushing um, the 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 uh, the way we use technology to like all of the hesitation we have, like a fear of creating a big brother, fear of creating like a really totalitarian dystopian future, is gonna be obliterated, moved through, peacefully overwhelmed by the the potential for human collaboration, distributed ledger. And um, they call it like, uh, it's like the, the cryptogenics of, of like, of, uh, yeah, I, 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 let's check in on that for another podcast. But there's a way, it's a, there's a linguistic framing of like what, um, like of, yeah, of, of crypto and data security. Yeah, yeah. So is that like kind of going into the idea of like all of our genetic codes are unique? So like that is your unique identifier kind of thing? Um, is that kind of... Me it's more like your biometrics can be uploaded mm -hmm. because you own them mm -hmm. and it's we all own together like in a distributed yeah. ledger there's no there's a po no possibility for individual ownership everything becomes distributed uh it's the same concept like holonomic brain theory it's like every single cell contains the whole entire chain so like every, your information is like saved in such a way that every other information on the planet is also there. So if you're getting biometric data uploaded, awesome. It's, it's, it's just as secure as everyone's and it can't be forged or faked. And the unlocking, the way to unlock it is to be you, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are the key to it. Like your own, you're the generator of those metrics. Like it, no one else can fake as you. No one else can, mm -hmm. no one can steal your identity it removes all of that, it solves all of that. So it's like, it literally unlocks these devices to like really work in a cloud, really work in, in, in with, with developers and other minds in them, analyzing them, processing them and, and helping one another without creating a big brother. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate you um, mentioning also like that security is a factor because like my like go-to thing is just like, if it exists, it can be hacked, you know? And like, that is like the scary thing with like autonomous vehicles and stuff like that. but if we're in this like idealized, I don't know, is decentralized the right word? Yes, like kind yes. of future where like you can't really own anything, then like, yeah, it's, <laughs> maybe it's that's the also a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a founding tenant of, of techno-socialism. It's a founding tenant. It's like utter decentralization. Mm. We had a presidential candidate literally speaking about that this year. Yeah, the, 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 the Chang gang. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, he was also and that's real. yeah, that's yeah, cool that, that's another tenant of techno socialism, yeah, right? 
the only the added value contribution to society is in the creative endeavor but the the baseline like survival is accomplished by technology and we can we can maintain the, the technology if it's like an actual physical asset but if it's not a physical asset then if it exists in a digital sense we have to maintain the servers but that job could also be automated by like you know processes like physical processes and, and and robots can easily accomplish that so we the digital existence will be maintained always self-maintained so we just need to keep energy generation and yeah universal basic income is is inevitable like that's actually an interesting conversation too but that's too much of a futurist conversation and that's mm -hmm. getting us out of scope for wearables so mm -hmm. yeah um cross contextualization makes things valuable so i'm happy to cross contextualize our expertise in, this, in these podcasts but uh, yeah, um, this has been fun. So just like today we ran through, um, you know, what's really happening on the ground. And we like looked inside of what's going on in someone taking a knee as a form of direct action or direct democratic participation. And that like directly participating in your democracy is a privilege and it's what it means to be a part of nations like the United States nations like all throughout the world who are, who are doing this way. Um, it's a great way of doing it. There are other great ways of doing, of doing nation building, but this is a great one. And really understanding what is happening inside of the bodies and hearts of those individuals when they're in the states of prayerful calm and sacred activism. I, I, would, I love the potential of our industry to shed a light on that to really quantify the narrative around that type of peace. When I think about Soyana technologies and I think about hope, that's hope right there. So we went from those spaces and we went into the future a little bit on, on what's going in our bodies, a little bit about um, what we think of uh, the potential of this technology and where we see some of the roadblocks. So uh, it's been real. Um, any, any final words, Isabel, before we wander off? Um, well, I would like to talk about how you are staying protected during these pandemic times and also getting to experience the beauty of how nature is right now. Totally, totally. Yeah, still rocking my Arma. Um, I had the Arma going on yesterday. I was uh, in, the, in the city. Um, yes, I was in Baltimore City uh, Saturday and Sunday um, having the Arma on as, as you know, our product here at Sonata Technologies is... Uh, a very breathable, uh, breathable fabric face mask. And the one I was wearing was a small mask. So it goes over your face, has colloidal silver fabric um, woven into it. And that's antimicrobial. Uh, so great when you're exhaling that, like all the particulate that come out of your mouth, um, it's going to get stuck for you in that mask. Make it clean. You're not going to share that with everybody. You keep that to yourself. Um, super good to wear that in small spaces when you're inside stores. Um, especially if you're like at a restaurant or something as we reopen in, in, in cities across the planet. Um, and then if you're working a, a, a you know, a, a more athletic or engaged job, we have those gators and mm -hmm. Baltimore city, kudos to you. We're talking about helping y'all out with, with a couple thousand of those gators. Uh, definitely crucial for folks that, that having the, the, the mask touching the face all day might be a little bit much Wear the gator. So has got you. The gator's got that. Um, that silver fabric woven in up front. So it's going to be filtering as you, your air goes in and out. And it's so lightweight. It doesn't even hug your chin. It's just hanging down over your neck. Looks cool. Get a lot of compliments. 
um, and we'll keep your exhalation to yourself. <laughs> the Armor yes. Shield is on soyana.io, and we are Soyana Technologies. I'm Ava Pipitone. Ava and I'm Pip. Isabel Maloof. Hey, uh, today's been a lot of fun. Let's play again soon. Definitely. Be well.